This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook, Volume 2, and today is August 18th, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Susan Zizza. I entered Hofstra in fall of 1977 and immediately uh, got involved at the radio station. Well, almost immediately in, the, in my in my uh, first, first semester, semester at Hofstra, yeah. yeah. And then um, I was at Hofstra till uh, the spring of 1980. Okay. Um, thank you so much for coming back and doing volume two. It's great to talk to you. And uh, I know you've got a lot of great stories. So uh, let's get into it. If you don't mind uh, reminding the listener, uh, what were the titles and positions you held as an undergrad at WVHC? As an undergrad at WVHC, I was, I think, to begin with in the spring of my freshman year, uh, assistant news director. And then I got um, a position that at first I wasn't so pleased with. I became the public relations director. I'd really wanted to be the news director, but I became the public relations director. Uh, He was more brilliant than we knew. And um, then I became a two-year program director. Okay. Um, Do you mind talking a little bit about what was the job of assistant news director at that time? What were you doing and how did you get into that job? Um, Well, I I was kind of like Goldilocks when I first arrived at Hofstra. I wanted to be the next Barbara Walters. That was my goal. I I just admired what she had accomplished so much and I could see the benefit, you know, of that kind of work. So the first thing I did was I went to the Chronicle and I tried there, but eh, the culture and all that. And I'd already been introduced to the radio station when I was at Sawanica High School by a friend. And so then I went to the TV station, eh, not a great fit for me. But when I walked back into the radio station, it was like, ah, here we are. And so I said, you know, I wanted to learn to do news. And um, my initial job was taking these pre-recorded reports that I believe the Navy gave us on reel-to-reel tape, or they were given to us by some government organization, and they had interesting little feature stories on them, and my job was to edit them up so that they would be available for the news department's evening feeds. And then um, in the next semester, that was my first semester freshman year, in the next semester I became the assistant news director, which meant that I also had to be responsible for more local news recordings, as well as participating in some of the public relations programs. There was a show about women that I ended up doing as a public service show for a couple of semesters. Um, And then on top of that, um, we also would some, you know, write the copy for the news programs and stuff. So that's when I did my second semester as the assistant news director. That's what I recall. I was the assistant. Mm. So there was an evening news program. Did it run 15 minutes, half an hour? How long was it? And was it every night? Uh, you know, I really don't remember. I, I probably have an old WVHC program block around somewhere, but I just remember we did news programming. And one of the big things I remember we did was prepare for elections. That was huge, Mm -hmm. but that was the next semester when I was public relations director, I'd come to Hofstra radio after the elections, or maybe just as the elections were occurring. So I was still too young and un, untrained to be able to edit and all that. But I, I took to editing very, very quickly and really, really loved the process. And then um, in the summertime, one thing I do remember doing as part of my news responsibility and also public relations responsibility was creating these features. I seem to recall the number 99 or 103, something like that, features that we put together about all the different aspects of Hofstra University to run 
during the alumni freshman weekend. Do, no, no, not the alumni freshman weekend, the, the um, orientation weekend. That was it. Yeah, for, for freshman orientation and returning to Hofstra, that was a big recruitment time for the radio station. And so we'd have a, um, a table outside and, you know, some years there'd be musicians, depending on the makeup of the staff. Um, but we would be really recruiting hard for the radio station at that freshman and all the barbecues and everything that would happen over that move-in weekend. And so one of the big things I did was really to create this extensive number of these two-minute features that ran all throughout the day. And that took me, I seem to recall that took me most of May, June, and July and August to finish because there were that many, you know, bits. But yeah, that was, that was a, a big project. Yeah, yeah. As you were describing it, I thought that must have taken you all summer working on reel to reel. And then I imagine maybe they went on to carts or I'm not sure how they organized, but that sounds like a tremendously painstaking process. I think, Brian, because of the way that it worked, that we ended up putting them all on one giant reel with leader tape in between. Mm. And you would just, you know, the next one would come up, the next one would come up, the next one would come up. And there was no schedule of them so nobody knew what was coming up next you know it was just if you missed one by accident it was okay um but yeah i don't remember spending time putting them onto carts that was all for station ids and they were limited carts there wouldn't Mm. have been 130 carts available to us you know for that kind of situation i do remember rebuilding carts though that was a fun experience Mm. um teddy ronneberger taught us how to do that replace the pads, check the tape. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. The things that you need to do to, to make the resources stretch as far as possible. It's, it's, it's a different, just before we started recording this conversation, you remarked that, you know, it's so nice that we have this unlimited amount of time because we have all these zeros and ones and the editing is all digital, but in your time, resources were somewhat limited and you had to be able to make them. And, and like you said, putting them on a reel to reel, that just makes sense now that I think about it, but you have to be very practical. Right. I also remember one of my jobs as the news director was assistant news director was to bring, was to sit down and listen to these pre-recorded things that we got from the Navy and the government and there were all these, the Farm Bureau, I seem uh-huh, to recall, yeah, yeah. and they'd be on reel-to-reel tape, and sometimes they'd be on really nice, you know, um, where the center hub was large, which meant that it really held the tension, you know, it wasn't like a cheap little two-inch center reel, you know, and so part of my job would be to listen to these pre-recorded elements, and if they gave it to us on tape that was acetate, then I would spool and it was a good reel. I would be listening. And if it didn't seem to me from the beginning that it was interesting, I would just start spooling it into the garbage pail, the tape, because <laughs> Jeff wanted us to keep the center hub reels. You know what I mean? Because right. we needed them for little packages that we might be putting onto the news on an evening. And I think it was a 15 minute show, as I recall now. I seem to recall it was a 15-minute show, five nights a week. And so th- there were resources. You know, we'd take the the old label off the box and we put now the center hub reel in the box and put it on one shelf. And then if it turned out they gave it to us on good tape, not acetate, but good tape, um, or it wasn't too thin, sometimes they would give it to us on, oh, what did they call that? Oh, we used to have a name for the kind of thinness of the tape. Um, Then my job was after I listened to it to bulk erase the tape Mm -hmm. and make sure that it was available for somebody else to record onto. So, I mean, we were definitely learning how to be, you know, one, you know, uh, management and um, resource managers that were recycling. I mean, a lot of what we did was recycle that tape that I spooled into the garbage 
would become things like uh, leaves to step in on a sound effects prop as a sound effect or wave as wind, you know, kind of things. So things got used as many different ways as they could. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I love talking about the different eras and I know so many things are available to students today and, and it's just amazing the, the, the physical facilities and what they're able to do. But I also have an appreciation for uh, the time when, well, you only have so much and you have these big ideas and you want to do things, you have to make it work and, and how that works a different part of your brain and, and teamwork and communication. So thank you for sharing that. That's uh that's a great time capsule there. I appreciate that. And it's still something that I believe um, I do without even thinking about it. I've mm-hmm. worked in a number of nonprofit situations over the years uh, where it was about making sure that resources were used to their fullest advantage. And one of the skills that I learned at WVHC was to really look around and say, how many different ways can I use this one thing so that way I get the most, you know, the most value out of it? And that really did serve me years later in my nonprofit work. Mm-hmm. So you do all this work as assistant news director and you have this ambition to be news director, but you wind up in public relations. Can you talk <laughs> a little bit about what happened there? Well, when I was um, in my freshman year, I had one of the very first projects I ever did was a audio adaptation of a Nutcracker. And mm-hmm. I'd come from Salonica High School where theater just, you know, spoke to me. And in fact, at Salonica High School, I learned to do sound effects, working on a, a particular performance of Dracula that was done. And that moment on stage when I didn't get cast to be a a Mina, uh, but instead, you know, had an opportunity to distract the audience from Mina by playing the bat and making it circle Mm -hmm. around and go overhead and all the rest of that, that really, really affected me deeply. So when I got to Hofstra Radio, Hofstra, and again, because I'd been introduced to the radio station a semester before I ended up there, um, I knew that there was this interest in in theater. And so I'd gone and asked if we could do this radio theater version of a Nutcracker. And Jeff had gotten us permission to use one of the TV studios so that the mic could hang in the middle. And, you know, he brought primarily students that were already involved, but I had to write the script. And um, I brought my little foster brother in to play the mouse king. I mean, it's quite a thing. And so because of that, and because of my interest in then getting it out there, you know, it wasn't just about, and it never has been just about producing. It's also then about getting heard. Um, I, uh, you know, Jeff thought I'd be a really good, uh, public relations director. And then the next year we ended up doing a Christmas carol in the little theater and I got the A&P and I got the Nassau County Department of Senior Citizens to pack the house and A&P gave us enough money to make coffee mugs with WVHC, you know, and we got into a couple of newspapers and some uh, local um, articles, you know, about the kind of work that we were doing in the, it was a, there was a there was a, a journal that was put out specifically about college radio, and we were the cover of that, you know. And so, because you know, he was right. I mean, he really was right. I mean, doing news, I could do that, but public relations and really connecting to the listener, the product that we were creating, you know, he was right. <laughs> I was really good at it. And I'm still a closer, you know, so, uh, you know, he recognized his own kind, I think. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's important to be able to produce the good work, but also you want to get ears on it. You want to get people involved. You want to draw more people in. And it's uh, that is a, a highly valuable skill. Um, if I can if I can ask you to, to jog the memory banks, though, do you remember who got news director instead of you? 
Uh, it might have been Karen Hamble. <laughs> I mm. can't remember, honestly. Okay. I just remember I just remember sitting at the dinner thinking, Oh, I have a really good shot at this. And and when he announced, you know, nobody could sell ice to Eskimos like this individual and my name followed that statement, I thought, Oh no, this isn't what I wanna do. But you know, sometimes you just you just try to make the best out of a situation and you know i i wasn't thrilled at first but in the end it really did give me a chance to stretch um natural instincts that mm -hmm. as news director yeah i probably would have used some of them but not to the same extent not not so that we ended up on the cover of a magazine that you know impressed the university and all the rest of that and then you know part of why he called me up years later and said this is what we need are you interested you know hmm. so many people have spoken of jeff kraus and his ability to to see people and their potential and put them in the right place or to give them advice whether it's at the radio station or uh, after they leave, that he was able to identify the traits and the abilities that people didn't even necessarily know that they had. So I'm really glad that you shared that. Now, you do a year of public relations, and then I assume you decide to apply for program director, which you were for two years. Yes. Yeah, I, I applied next, yeah, for program director. And I, I remember, <laughs> I remember maybe saying something like in my interview, well, you know, I, I did the public relations thing, you know, and I did it really well. And, you know, like, do you think maybe I could get a promotion because I, you know, did the last thing he asked me to do, which was not what I wanted to do kind of a thing. Um, and I, it was it was um, exciting to uh, to be a program director at the radio station because there were lots of challenges and yet at the same time again i really learned to listen to although i'm sure there are many people who would disagree with this but whether they realize it or not i really learned to listen to um what what a person thought was interesting and so again years later as a conference coordinator and other things when you know we would have these programming meetings i would always be much more broad in my approach i still am in my approach to you know what defines a thing you know what defines a genre what defines a right you right. you had to consider so many different things and balance so many different things there was always the part at least from the time that i was there there was a piece that was university driven we had to make sure that we were meeting certain university standards so that they wouldn't, you know, threaten our license, which had happened before. And then there were the community elements, like all the Hempstead Town programming that we did, you know, because of their, <clears throat> um, you know, sometimes we'd be doing stuff around the university. And then there were the Hempstead Town programs that had to be done, the concerts on a Sunday night, especially. And that was from, you know, their supporting of the radio station many years before. And then we had um, different kinds of blocks of programming that appealed more or less to different members of the student population. There was the rock and roll, the late night. Uh, in my time, I ended up doing country western. I, I recently saw Steve Graziano, um, who was the program director before me, and you know he had put together this clock to do a, a very top 40 like show and um because he had proposed the idea of doing um country western music i thought it was kind of funny and ended up having a conversation with him and getting on the air and in the end i ended up doing that um 
country western program for many years and really actually enjoyed it. I ended up becoming a host at uh, a festival in Massapequa for one of the years that I was on the air. So we had all kinds of opportunities to learn about other forms of music, other cultures. And then, of course, there was, you know, the wonderful Sweet Olson mm-hmm. and all the different community ethnic programs that not only were fun and exciting to, to listen to, but helped to support the radio station, like the Irish programming and other things. Mm. Do you remember what the uh, the broadcast hours were during the time that you were program director and what the, the bulk of the, the, I guess, the weekday programming? I remember why. I just remembered why I was given one of the things I did as public relations director. Mm-hmm. We did for the first year, we had an Irish marathon. Tony Fallon had arranged for us to use the Irish Center in um, Mineola. And we were broadcasting from the Irish Center. And we were about an hour, maybe 50, 45 minutes from the end of the night. And um, (laughs) we had this uh, um, challenge to make a certain amount of money because, you know, then we would get a match and all this other stuff. And there was just this challenge to really make it a successful first event, Mm -hmm. you know. And I remember taking a hat and literally walking around and passing a hat. And Jeff was like, at first, flabbergasted that I did this. He was like, oh, my God. And I said, no, no, it's okay. I think I took his hat, in fact. (laughs) (laughs) And I I started, I don't remember whose hat I had. But I remember walking around with this hat and people just started taking $20 out of their pocket and throwing it in. And we ended up getting the entire amount we had hoped for and like another 50 bucks or something, maybe 150 bucks. But it was that kind of boldness that the radio station allowed me as an undergraduate, you know, to practice, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You have to get creative. Like we were saying before, you have the resources or you have, you know, a limited audience and you have to uh, extract as much as you can in order to keep things going. That's uh that's a great story. Um, so there's the, I guess the Irish program was on Saturdays and was Sweet yes. Olson on Sundays. What else was going on programming yes. wise at the time? Uh, we had folk music and uh, changes, which was the rock and roll show that Steve and Jim Health got and Del Bazo, the, the older uh, seniors, juniors and seniors did. I think we were on till midnight. We were on from, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, I wish I'd looked it up. I think we were on from noon till midnight. I think we were on for 12 hours. And then it was when the university later on that they expanded earlier. But I don't remember us being on much before noon or one o'clock. In fact... I think if I'm remembering correctly, there was a one credit radio class that Jeff taught in the basement of the little theater that would have meant that we couldn't have signed on every day. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe on the weekends we signed on a little earlier, but it was a pretty limited broadcast schedule. And yet we were able to offer, there was some classical, there was, there was definitely jazz, there was folk. Uh, there was theater, you know, we played music of the theater on the weekends in particular. Um, and then, you know, as, as new forms of music, like the post-punk progressive pop party, uh, you know, as new forms of music, I was just watching all these celebrations of the 50th anniversary of hip hop and thinking about how it, you know, came to the radio station, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I was part of the programming team that, that, you know, had Jane Hamburger and all those people involved. And it was just great what Jeff Foss did, you know, gave us the opportunity. Brian Seltzer, the stray cats came down and, you know, it was something. It was something. It was always hopping. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know for certain that one year uh, when you were program director, uh, Scott Cinnamon was your station manager. Was he there for two years or who else did you work with while you were PD? Um, I think it was, I know Scott was there for a good portion of it. He was definitely there because he was really focused on the sports and the opportunities that he saw that the radio station could take advantage of for um, keeping the station and the university's relationship positive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just spoke with Todd Ant uh, doing this set of questions and he spoke uh, a lot about Scott and, and the efforts to do uh, as much sports broadcasting as possible and, and uh, curry the favor of the university in that regard. So um, okay, cool. Um, I what wish is I can remember. Scott would probably remember. Well, well, well. I'm sure he'll get his turn in the barrel here, <laughs> here too. <laughs> um, th- there are obviously these very important stories and relationships, but uh, is there a story that you always tell when you talk about your undergraduate years at WVHC? Yes, the one I I always tell is the year that it snowed so badly. We had to dig out the steps of the little theater. I do remember Scott being here for this. We had to dig out the steps of the little theater with cafeteria trays in order <laughs> to be able to get the steps uncovered and on the air because we took our responsibility to be on the air, you know, so very seriously. <laughs> and, uh, it, it, yeah, I remember, I remember doing that. I mean, that's one of my favorite stories to tell was digging out the, the, uh, steps with that cafeteria tray. It was an, it was an ugly orange tray, I recall. And I wasn't mm-hmm. the only one doing it in the moment, but that was like one of the challenges. Yeah. That talk about using your resources, what you have at hand. That's, uh, I'm sure today there are much more sophisticated ways of snow removal, but back then to get into well, that we staircase. Didn't have, we didn't even have a shovel available to us. And by the time I believe the plant department might've gotten to shoveling out those steps, you know what I mean? It would have yeah. been who knows how many days later, they had many more important buildings to uncover. But for us, this was the most important thing to you know accomplish. Absolutely. And I've had a number of conversations doing this with people who, you know, whether it's breaking news or a snowstorm or or some other weather event, what is it that makes us, because it's not everybody, what is it that makes us run to the station despite all other indications saying don't go to, to show up and either help keep the station on the air or to do reports? What is it about us or what is it about the station that makes us, you know, dig through feet of snow with, with, uh, you know, cafeteria <laughs> trays, what, what, either what's wrong with us or what's, what's well, right with us? <laughs> well, I think it's a couple of things. I think first of all, at least from my perspective, part of it was never wanting to disappoint Jeffrey. Mm-hmm. When he would say to us, you know, you miss the mark, he had a particular tone in his voice. You know, when he called you, um, what was it, something mediocre? Moderately mediocre, I think it was. Mm-hmm. That was a compliment from him, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, And he was, he was very um, charismatic and charming in his way of really finding again, you know, the thing that was the button that got you, you know what I mean? He, he might Mm -hmm. not have ever said to Scott or Jim or anybody else, you know, the kinds of things that he would have said, or to me, the kinds of things he might've said to Scott. And I remember, you know, the way that the office was set up, he sat in the middle between Scott and myself as the two uh, heads of the executive board a student executive board, and he would make one kind of comments to Scott that, you know, he would never have said to me, and then in the other direction as well. And so I think part of it was not wanting to um, disappoint him. The other thing was, in my time, 
we were always an underdog. Mm. And if you're going to be an underdog, it means that somebody has to always be coming to your rescue, you know? And so we, we didn't want any reason for the university, at least some of us that would do things like dig out the station, <laughs> uh, didn't want any reason for the university to take us off the air or, or anything. So that was a big part of it too, was the fact that we were an underdog. And then the third thing was, I think, again, at least from my perspective, is that um, the radio station allowed us to create community in a way that I, di I didn't feel. I'm sure yeah. other people did, but I didn't feel at the Chronicle. I didn't feel, you know, in other parts of the Department of Communication at the time. But at the radio station, it was the island of misfit toys, you know, and mm -hmm. I mean, we were all sort of banded together to create this, you know, uh, keep this thing on the air. And so we had our standard, we had our champion, you know, that's what mythology is all about, right? Right, right. <laughs> and then, you know, we had our cause. And so... I think it was, I think it was all those things. I think there was as much about the human connections as well as the reality. And for those of us who took that into our careers, you know, maybe we don't have the same reasons. Now our standard is we want our paychecks, but you know, it still motivated us in a way that I think carried forward for, for some of us. Yeah, absolutely. So many people have, have talked about that and it's it's different eras. And uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like I still haven't really defined the question, but I've asked a number of people and, and a lot of it comes down to, like you say, it's it's the it's the community, it's the sense of urgency, it's that underdog thing, it's that uh, that need to be part of, of something. So so thank you for, for taking a swing at, at that question. Now, on the other side, there are so many stories that you have and so many memories and and i know that you listen back to some of the interviews and have have done a little thinking about things are there stories that you've forgotten about or that you rarely tell about your time as a student at hofstra well um not not forgotten about but don't tell as often like um the the very 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 first time i was on the air we all had to do um a continuity um, shift where all we did was read the uh, station ID at the top of the hour, maybe a public service announcement. Then you might do the lead into the news if there was news during your shift or the lead into the next show. And for years, I had been... Um, friends with someone in Elmont whose mother listened to Polish music every Sunday. And uh, we would sit in the kitchen, you know, and have breakfast or lunch, and there'd be this Polish music playing in the background. And then I go to Hofstra and I get on my first um, time slot, and I'm reading the continuity for Swedes polka show on a Sunday afternoon, Sweet Olson. He was just, he was quite a special kind person. And um, I get on and I go, hi. Well, I did the top of the station ID and then I had to do a uh, public service announcement. Um, and then I had to announce Sweet show. And at the end I said, for WVHC, I'm Sue Zizza. And about Two minutes later, the phone rings and Swede goes, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, it's good to hear from you. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. What? Hold on a minute. Sue, you have your first air fan. It's like, <laughs> what? And it turned out that my girlfriend's mother, Joy, had been listening, you know, that morning in the kitchen, as she always did. She'd been a regular, it seems, you know, friend and donor of Swedes because he clearly knew who she was. And she gets on, I get on the phone, I go, hello, this is Sue, can I help you? And she goes, 
what are you doing on the air, Sue? And I'm like, joy, <laughs> joy, you know? And it was just like, I guess on some subconscious level, I'd always known about WVHC. And then, you know, a friend introduced me. So I felt very kismet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I love that story. Thank you for, for sharing that. Um, do you mind, since you mentioned uh, Swede, for those of us who didn't know him, um, could you give us a little bit of uh, uh, an idea of what the man was like to work with or, or, or what his personality oh, was like? Um, I'm sure, you know, at home he, he had his moments, as we all do. But... At the studio, Swede was the definition of the happiest man on earth. Hmm. He always had a smile on his face. The music that he played was so upbeat and happy and positive that um, you couldn't help. I mean, that was why we would listen on a Sunday afternoon. You know, he was always really... um, excited to be there he was happy to be sharing this music with people and he was very very generous with people too i'm sure participating at the radio station might have given him some community celebrity or whatever in his own world but it didn't match or at least what he gave to the radio station with his annual fund drives that we would all go out of our way to participate and make sure everything was set up and he'd bring in food. And I mean, Basha has continued this Mm -hmm. legacy so incredibly. Um, But Swede is where all of that began. And then from there, um, Tony Fallon came in and we then had the opportunity for working alongside alongside the Irish community. And Tony was a different personality, you know. Um, I would say Tony Jackson, who followed Tony Fallon, was much more Swede-like, you know, in the way that he's always positive and, and happy to be at the radio station, you know. So I think that different personalities bring different kind of energy to the situation. And Swede was just somebody who appreciated what we gave him and also what we could offer to him and gave back in a big way. Hmm. Hmm. Thank you for, for sharing that. As you were describing Swede and his, and his positive attitude and his generosity and all those things, the, the two things that were rattling around in my head was that sounds like Basha and that sounds like Tony Jackson. Yes. Yeah. Which is, absolutely. which is, they were they were his his spiritual heirs, I guess, and then and then that's continued down the road. That's and that's Tony, amazing. Tony Fallon was a very very kind and talented individual, but I I seem to recall he had some personal health challenges, which sometimes, you know, would impact his situation. You know, um, mm. but there were many wonderful, fun, interesting community members who you know, got involved at the radio station and over time found ways to give back by contributing through our fundraising events and other, you know, and so that part of the station grew, you know, uh, and now I know it's, it's still very much an, an anchor for, for what goes on at WRHU these days. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Thinking about your time at WVHC, is there a song or an event or a program or a production that you did or were involved with that kind of defines your time at the station? I think it was when we did the Christmas Carol because Mm -hmm. it was a live performance event. It was upstairs from the studios in the little theater, actually. It... um, combined my you know it just lit and continued to light an ember that um is part of my world today you know i'm still doing fiction storytelling for all for all forms of audio media and um to me that that was a real defining moment in terms of how I wanted to have 
the radio station at the time perceived because it was exciting to be involved in that. And then later on in my life, it still became a defining moment in how I wanted all artists involved in the art form to be perceived. Hmm. Yeah, I, I was trying to make a bet with myself if that was going to be the thing that you said, and I, I guess I won that bet. Uh, it's a, it's a great story. Thank you, uh, thank you for sharing that. Now, you obviously had a lot of success and did a lot of great things. Was there ever a time where you thought uh, this is too much for me, or I'm not having fun anymore, and I want to step back, or were there other reasons why you might might have wanted to leave? Um, I guess like anybody else, you know, I had my disappointments public relations director, at least initially, <laughs> you know, at least initially. Um, but I, I, you know, Brian, I, I really can't think of a time I might've gotten annoyed at somebody or I might've, you know, felt overworked and underappreciated. I did have to work other jobs. Yeah. When I was an undergraduate at Hofstra, because I was on scholarship, but I still had to pay for a portion of my own expenses. And so I'd work the news at WHLI. I'd work, I did, I did the Sunday morning shift for a time, WTHE. I did the weather for, I think it was AccuWeather. No, I can't remember the name of it at the time. You had It was above the bagel shop. Um, in, in Queens, um, I, I did commercials. I mean, I was doing all kinds of, of secondary work so that I could continue my radio station education. To be honest with you, I, I was not as uh, focused on my classes because that was always something I could get through easily. I didn't need to put a lot of focus there. It wasn't until my master's when I, when I was in Hofstra for my master's degree that I really, you know, put very serious energy into, yeah. into the class work, you know, but as an undergraduate, I was one of those um, people who, as long as I showed up to a couple of classes a semester, I got the basic gist. I always wrote good papers. I was done, you know? Um, and of course, I always offered them a show at the radio station. So that, that, would, <laughs> <laughs> that would go a long way sometimes. Um, so yeah, I'm sure I had my frustrations and my disappointments like anybody else, but yeah, I was committed. Yeah. I probably should have been committed. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, once you get involved, once you get that involved, you're you're kind of stuck yeah, with it. Yeah, I, yeah, I can't can imagine do. walking away. It takes a lot for me to yeah. walk away. So. What were there any things that you hoped to achieve as program director that you weren't able to do, or do you feel like you were pretty satisfied with your time there? Oh, I'm sure in the moment, you know, again, I, you know, maybe I wanted to have more theater on the air or maybe I wanted to have, uh, I don't know, certain kinds of music or whatever. But I think that it wasn't about the specificity of those kinds of accomplishments. It was actually the larger learning experience, the larger interpersonal experience, the larger um opportunity to really feel like what i was doing made a difference that if i made a mistake that it would affect this institution you know um years later that kind of uh process changed in a way that there was a safety net um, for the students. And, and I believe there continues to be a safety net for the students. But when I was there as an undergraduate, you know, there wasn't the same kind of safety net. And so it really did matter what you were doing. Hmm. Hmm. Um, on the other side, um, and again, I have some guesses here. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pre-guess them. But uh, what's your proudest moment, or your or your biggest accomplishment at the station? I think just surviving two years as program director, because um, <laughs> there was always, there was always, you know, um, and and I was as guilty of it as as the people who came behind me. Um, 
and it was in some ways, let's just say, kind of encouraged because we did need to understand how corporate structure really worked and all the rest of that. And so yeah. there were probably a couple of moments where, you know, oh, we're not happy with a choice she made. We should replace her, you know, kind of a deal. And um, yeah, you know, those those are always tough to go through, but they're really good learning opportunities. You don't think about that in the moment, but they are. And um, I think... I think just keeping, oh, I, I, one of the, one thing that I was proud of was the fact that my personal production skills, my producing skills, mm-hmm. my being able to cut tape. Um, I remember Mark Wiener came back to the station one time and I was considered one of the best, you know, editors, tape cutters there. And he said, oh, you think you're so good. And he handed me back in the USSR by the Beatles. And he said, get this down to 30 seconds and we'll talk. And, you know, it's a syncopated piece. So it requires, you know, a certain kind of a cut. And um, I remember the next time I saw him, I said, yeah, I did get it down to 30 seconds. And I had it on a reel. I'd been carrying this reel around with me for a while. (laughs) And I had it on a reel and I gave it to him and he listened to it and he went, yeah, you, you get it. You really do get it. You know, I, and I'm not a musician, you know, but years later it was my understanding of beats and, and how rhythms occur um, that allowed me to be the successful for a time sound effects artist that I was because many sound effects and or Foley artists similar, but not exactly the same, um, uh, job, uh, many sound effects and or Foley artists are actually percussionists and began as musicians themselves. So I, I had, you know, piano training and I'd been a singer in, in high school, but I wasn't a musician musician. And so for Mark Wiener to tell me that I hit that, you know, that edit as good as I did was really um, very, very uh, exciting for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's high praise. Mark, uh, Mark was a, a, a very generous person, but I don't know that he's necessarily throwing compliments around uh, if he didn't have to. So that's, that's pretty impressive. And, and I, I don't mean to, to go too much into the, uh, into the minutia of what you're doing there, but you're talking about doing these editing projects and not being a music or this project in particular, not being a musician, but like, what's, what's the mindset? How are you as a 19 or 20 year old figuring out how to do this thing? Um, you know, like again, today we have all this digital technology. You can just try and edit and if it doesn't work, you undo it and you try something again. Are you thinking about this thing in your head? Are you playing the record in different ways? What's your process for, for making that happen? You know, to me, there was a vocational technical aspect of what we were doing at, at WVHC. Oh, I think one of my proudest moments though was when we expanded our election news coverage i do remember that just at the same time that sports was getting expanded the election news coverage was getting expanded and i remember steve and jim had set up the the sort of the template but then we took it even further with you know and now it's even grown to a a bigger extent but i do remember that there were you were when you were asking me about editing i remember Mm. the interviews that got done for all the politicians that year and the tape that we hung and we would put numbers on the back of it in grease pencil and we'd hang it with red um uh tape this special kind of red um oh i can't remember what it was called console marking tape or something and we would hang these things in order so that when you were ready to actually put them together you had them right there for you now you know you have your clip spin and pro tools and you know it's a whole different process but it was very very physical and i think for me i came from a family that cooked And I saw editing very much the same way as cooking. It's just this ingredient followed by this ingredient. You know what I mean? And then 
the physicality of it was very meditate meditative meditative mm-hmm. meditative for me um i just found that i could put those headphones on or if the machine the caliphone had a little playback speaker in it i could just sit there and listen and really get into it and and the pacing and the breaths that had to be taken out there were too many there weren't enough you would keep the little breaths on the side with a little b on them and then you'd have maybe four or five of them and you could see they were different lengths and you could use that to repace something i mean it was um yeah it's a skill that you know uh, i teach now and in fact on monday I'll be having a conversation with the wonderful young woman who's our editor about, you know, as she's repacing an audiobook for us, um, the things that you think about in the way a, a person naturally speaks and all of that. And that came from re-editing all of those uh, interviews and those little news pieces that I used to have to do for the for the station. Mm, mm, that's that's fascinating. Thank you for for sharing that, all the different elements that come together uh, and you don't necessarily know it at the time, but but all those pieces of, of your life and your experience uh, help you do that. That's awesome. That's and great. I think some people have the temperament for it, Brian, and some mm-hmm. don't. You know what yeah. I mean? Because it really is, um, it's another part of the, the art form, the skill, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think it calls certain people. Like there's, there's people who try it and they say, well, I can, I can do certain basics. And then there's other people who go, this is interesting on multiple levels. This is a challenge. This is something that, that pulls you in. And I think, I think that's definitely true in your case. And, uh, you know, people like Mark Wiener and a number of other people who were really drawn to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is there a, a funny story or a funny thing that always makes you laugh that whenever you think about it, just, it just puts you in a really good mood about being at the radio station. Yeah. Um, I just think the memory of being at the radio station in general, um, I remember, uh, we had a, uh, a couch, a ye- uh, I think it was yellow, an ugly yellow couch in the middle of the room. And from time to time, there would be pillow fights and, you know, all that kind of thing. But I think the thing that always makes me smile is just remembering that office. Just the, there was something and what a pain in the neck it was to go from the office upstairs on the back of memorial hall down over to the little theater you know what i mean it wasn't it it was quite a schlep and uh, especially when it was cold and and other things um but there was just something about the energy the light in that room that um yeah you knew that when you walked into that room you knew that you weren't in Kansas anymore. There was something different about what was going on there than everywhere else on campus. You mentioned that earlier, the Island of Misfit Toys. And I can picture <laughs> yeah. that office. And again, the, the physical separation of, you know, the, the, the studio across campus and then, and then the office that that office was, was something of a refuge uh, to go and hang out and be social. And then uh, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe the being over at the, the, the radio station itself was a little bit more business-like and we're here to do a job and the office was more like, this is where we're going to hang out. No, I thought that, I think that the energies carried back and forth between both venues. Um, there were times when there was silliness abounded mm-hmm. at the uh, studio a or studio B uh, there were all kinds of things that we would uh, torture each other with to, <laughs> to try and get somebody to laugh on the air. Because if you laughed on the air, you know, the old man, as we sometimes called him, would uh, call us up and yell at us, you know, what are you doing? Um, and again, you know, it was it was the camaraderie of being this this group who really thought that we had something special i mean think about it we thought we had something special and didn't feel 
that it was necessarily recognized by the institution. And so, you know, it, it gives you something to band together for, you know, us against them. Yeah. That, I think you're kind of answering my next question, but it's, you know, what, is, what do you miss most about being at WVHC? And it sounds like it's the camaraderie. Well, I think that's part of it. And I think it was also the ability to be as creative as you could be. If you could imagine it and you could explain it to Jeffrey, he'd go, okay, Ziza, let's see what you can do. Okay, Sue, go ahead. Let's see what you could do. Um, and there was, there was rarely an out and out no. Instead, mm. it would be reframed to you in a way that some of the possible problems, because none of us are reinventing the wheel, um, some of the possible problems could be identified and you had the choice. Were you going to take what level of advice you were being given or where you go, oh, I remember another thing that I did. I just remember going into the city and thanks to Teddy Ronneberger getting the opportunity to bring a, oh God, this thing was heavy as heck, um, a Revox recorder with me to interview the playwright Entezaki Shangay, who had just won the Tony Award for Colored Girls. And um, that was a really special moment for me because as program director, I really wanted to push the, the theater arts, you know, um, connection. Thank you for letting me speak out of order. The theater arts connection. And so, um, yeah, when I had that opportunity, that was a big deal. That was a big, that even got, um, the university's attention. And I remember the public relations office uh, promoted when that interview ran on, on wow. the station. That's, that's, that's very impressive. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's part of the process of this as you're thinking about things, these memories will, will pop out. And in this case, I guess I could edit it into place, but I'm just going to leave it be and let it be a conversation as it were. I won't have to worry about counting breaths and, and keeping <laughs> right. audio tape nearby. We'll just, we'll just let it, let it go that way. Um, I love that you, you say that the, you know, I, if I could paraphrase the, the challenge of doing these projects is is what you miss or what you enjoyed uh, no it's, it's what i it's what i enjoyed and so um to this day you know it's uh in part how i teach this art form because i do teach this art form uh at nyu at new york university in the tisch film school i've been there now two decades plus um teaching this art form and um it's 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 part of being a producer. You have to break down, you know, the bigger picture, that final thing into its individual components. And I learned that skill, you know, at uh, WVHC, looking at something and saying, what does it take to make this happen? Well, if this person just does this one piece and this person just does this one piece and I take this piece, mm -hmm. then we can all come together and make a thing happen. And that's what theater is all about. That's what, you know, art is, you know, in many collaborative situations about figuring out who can do which piece and, and being successful when they come together. And, um, casting that's what casting is you know it's what mm -hmm. I, I love doing that part of, in my current work because i listen to this actor this actor this actor and i go well he does that character really 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 good but next to the voice of this actor they sound too so you know and it it really gives me a chance it's like putting together a really good puzzle you know so that that was a big part of i think what i learned at, at the station there and what I, I still enjoy in my current work.
Yeah. And you've obviously continued uh, this work throughout your professional career and you're winning awards and doing all this amazing work. So my, my next question was really geared towards people who aren't involved in radio or aren't doing the thing that they did as, as undergrads. But the question is generally like if you had an opportunity, if they needed someone to do a, a country music show on weekends or, you know, would you go back and, uh, you know, get behind the board at WRHU and, and spend some time as a DJ? Well, actually, I've been very uh, blessed in the fact that a number of the projects that I've done over the years have been broadcast at WRHU. So that's been um, a really good um, relationship that's continued there with the air. Um, But uh, in terms of getting back on the air, oh, heck yeah. Oh, heck yeah. I I wouldn't have whatever they'd ask me to do. Could you just give me a 10-minute you know, primer on, you know, what this thing is. And uh, yeah, sure, I'd be happy to play it, you know, because to me, that was always part of it, Brian, was that it was an opportunity to play. And play is not a bad thing. Play is, you know, and it it was why um, I enjoyed uh, new people that would come in to the station as well. You know, it was always a bit of a revolving and ever expanding and shrinking group of mm-hmm. people. There was there was a core group, though. There was always this core group. And then the, the, the rest would expand and contract depending on university makeup or populations or the community or whatever. But I think that it was that ability to play and there were very few limits put on us in terms of what we couldn't do, what we couldn't try. We had to be careful about language because that was the legal stuff. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, you know, if we wanted to get on the radio and we thought that um, listening to a particular form of poetry or storytelling or music or you know, conversation was something that was of interest to us. We weren't told no, but we were encouraged to make it the best we could. You know, sloppy was not appreciated. Right, right. Um, If you could time travel for 30 seconds or a minute and go back and talk to yourself at 18 or 19 years old, is there a piece of advice you would give yourself? Um... You know, sometimes I wonder if I might say something like, don't take it so seriously, but I Mm -hmm. think it was the fact that I took it seriously that allowed me to not only achieve a certain amount of success in my undergraduate time period, but to carry that forward. Um, I, I think maybe maybe I'd say something like try, try to be more present in the moment. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, like many 18, 19, 20 year olds, um, I was always thinking about the next thing and not appreciating fully the thing I was doing in the moment and recognizing, you know, what that was, but I, I don't know that any, young person isn't constantly thinking forward at the same time. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, you know, the follow-up question is, would you have listened to that to be more present, to be more appreciative in the moment? You know, um, if I knew now, if I knew then what I knew now, no, now, if I knew then what I know now, yes, I would have because there were limited times. There was a, there was a finite amount of time that was going to be available to know certain people throughout that experience. And, um, had I been more present 
in the moment during those times, I might have had better memories for you today. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, again, you've already kind of answered this question, but I'd like to wrap up here. Um, obviously, your relationship with with Hofstra Radio and, and radio in general has continued and, and radio theater and audio production has continued uh, throughout your career. But, but what are the, the, the skills or lessons that you took from w, WVHC into your professional and adult life? If you work hard enough, if you work hard enough and you really believe, you can create anything. You really, really can. It may not be the thing exactly as you imagine it, but if you let yourself accept what's happening around you, you recognize that probably the primary element of that thing is there that you're creating, you know? And I, again, I go back to the fact that at least in my memory, I can't speak to other people's memories, but in my memory, I was never told no. I was always told, but how are you going to get there? What is your plan? And because of that, it allows me in my current world to believe still in magic and that anything is possible, you know? Mm. What a wonderful way to finish this conversation. Thank you so much for sharing that and your stories. And and lest anyone think this is the end of our conversation, uh, I think you and I need to have some uh, some time spent talking about your your years as an administrator at Hofstra Radio. So um, I, I think this is a adjunct faculty. <laughs> yes, so I think this is a to be continued. It's not quite a cliffhanger, but definitely stay tuned. I'm definitely looking forward to getting some more stories out of you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Brian, for a chance to come back and talk a little bit more about it.